So Psalm 46, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, the word uh, will also be on the screen, so that's fine. You can follow along there. But Psalm 46 reads, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He, is, uh, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Today is a special day in that we have a good friend and guest speaker bringing the word today. Nick Parsons uh, is, a, is somebody I met. I remember having uh, lunch with you over Thai food there on Murphy Street a number of years back and just having this thought of, man, it's really cool meeting this guy. I can't wait to see uh, how, uh, what the Lord does with this. And, and that's been a real gift down the years. Nick is a real key catalyst for church planting here, here in the Bay Area, has a big heart for church planting, for church startups, and for the Bay Area, which is just to say one of the reasons why we love this guy. He's the managing director of the Stratum Foundation. He is the director of recruitment for the Orchard Group, a church startup group. And he also administers the uh, TBC slash Stratum church planting grant that Current has uh, had the honor of receiving over the last few years. So this guy's doing some wonderful things, not just for, for, for Current, but a lot of churches here in the Bay Area and beyond. We're excited to have him here. Uh, we, we got to know each other through the City to City Incubator. Cindy is on a, a team coaching other church planners with Nick. Uh, you are uh, married to Rachel. Has, he has five children up there in the city. That is awesome. I'm a guy of, uh, I'm one of six kids myself, so I already love that guy for that. Anyways, can you please put your hands together and join with me in welcoming Nick Parsons to the stage? Thanks, David. Yes, so I have five kids, so you know I'm a little crazy um, already, which I appreciate. But uh, it's real, it is an honor to be here. Uh, this is my first time being at Current, but I feel like I've been a fan of this church for for years now as I've gotten to know David and Cindy and heard about the work God was doing in and through this church. And so it's a real joy to be here with you guys. So thanks for letting me come and share. Uh, as, as David mentioned, I've been involved in church planning and for, for now almost like 20 years, but was a church planner in Thailand and in Japan and then have lived in the Bay Area for the last eight years in San Francisco, kind of helping new churches start and figuring out different ways we can serve new churches. Uh, and so really it's a joy to be here. Um, I hope everybody had a great Christmas. Uh, I know the holidays can be for different people, different kinds of things. Maybe it was a time that was really exciting, enjoyable. Other people, you're away from family or you're remembering people you've lost. It can be a time of grieving. And so I just know all of us come in from this holiday season in a different place. But wherever you are, however this season has been for you, I'm glad you're here and worshiping with us. And yeah, I'm honored to speak. Uh, today, I want to talk a little bit about change. Um, this is normally a time of year when a lot of us are thinking about goals, about changes we want to make, about ways we might want to be different in the future. 
And very, very honestly, I know sometimes pastors are like really over the top. I'm like, like very honestly, this last week, the time between Christmas and New Year's is my favorite week of the year because like work has slows down for me. My kids have new toys and so they can like leave me alone for a while. Um, and it's normally a time that I take off and we go to like Yosemite or something. And this year we end up staying uh, here in San Francisco because my in-laws were coming. They had, we hadn't seen our in-laws because of COVID and all kinds of stuff. And so my wife was like, is it cool if my parents come? even though it's your favorite week of the year, and it's like, yes, they're not watching online, so I can say my in-laws are great, but it was like a sacrifice to give up this like really time that I love with our family, and I love being by myself, and, uh, but it was a great time. And it, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this time when we think about changes we want to make. My wife and I were kind of reflecting on our own lives and, you know, and thinking, what are the things in 21 and 2021 that happened that we were excited about? What are the goals that we hope to make in the future? Uh, what are some changes that we'd like to see? And so uh, for our family, it's kind of a, a bit of a mixture. Like we had some goals happen in 2021 that we were super excited about. So we've been living here for eight years. We've been saving to buy a house. And we like, re so we're like no vacations, like going on, like, you know, don't eat out very much, all the savings. We've been doing this for a while. And this last year, we're like, if we really save, I think we might get close. And so we crushed it and we did financially better than I like thought we do. We saved more money and like our whole family was in on it. And so we're like, man, that goal was awesome. So we crushed that goal. And then the other hand though, I had like health goals and I got like crushed by the health goals. <laughs> like they, they, I went the other direction. Like I'm farther behind than when I started. And so, yeah, it was definitely like, like a mixture of things. And I don't know how you feel about your own last year. And as you're thinking about the future, if last year was great or not so great, I know for me, it was just quite a mixture of things. And so as you're thinking about your life, you may already know this in a non-COVID time of year, this last week is like the, the time of the year when gym memberships get their most like new clients. You guys might have got like inundated with like ads for health apps or something. You know, job placement agencies also get some of the most new, like the most new inquiries for people who are saying, you know what, I don't want to work at this company anymore. Put me in with a recruiter. It's a really busy time for people thinking about that. And, you know, so today I want to spend a little bit of time reflecting about some of the ways that we might approach change and uh, approach transitions and approach goals. And some of the things we might have internally that we don't even recognize, some motives that we might have and that we carry with us as we approach change. And so we're gonna look at a few, what I'm gonna call like lesser inadequate perspectives on change or motivations for change. Some perspectives that we might carry with us that often leave us unsatisfied. And then we're gonna look at some of the ways that the Christian faith or the gospel might influence us and help us as we pursue change moving forward. So this is also, it's more of like a topical message. I normally am the kind of person that like loves to pick out one Bible passage and like dive in and let's just do that. Uh, but so we are going to look at Psalm 46 to some degree, but we're also going to kind of bounce around a few different places in the Bible. Everything should come up on the screen. We should be good. So let's jump in. All right. Okay. So our first inadequate perspective that we might have as we approach change in the new year is this. Number one, if you're a note taker, take notes. If you're not, don't worry about it. I'm not a note taker. I'm an auditory person. Number one, I need to change in order to be loved or valued. I need to change in order to be loved or valued. That might be relationally, that might be socially. Maybe you've been lonely this past year and you hope that some personal changes in your life might make you more attractive or desirable to a potential partner or to your existing partner. Uh, maybe you're hungry to advance in your career and you feel like you need to change in some areas to stay ahead of the competition. Maybe you're striving to maintain a certain grade or a scholarship and you're realizing, hey, I need to make some changes or like I'm gonna miss out on some really important things in my life. 
for most of us, I think there is some kind of core sense of inadequacy that we all have in us. And we believe need, that we believe we need to be changed or we need to be improved in order for others to really appreciate and love us. We think that we need to change in order to be loved by people around us or to be accepted. A lot of us feel that way. Uh, it's, and I think that this is true, and I think we can know this is true because we live uh, in a valley that's built on advertising in a lot of ways that preys on this sense that we have that there's something else we need or some change that we need to make in order to be whole. If you think about the, you know, the format of television commercials or social media commercials, you know, they show some product or someone drinking some beverage or driving some kind of car or wearing a Patagucci sweater. And they're then all of a sudden, you know, magically surrounded by people who are cool or they look like an adventurer and they're happy. And it's like, awesome, you're an amazing person if you buy this product. And you know, tons of our, our world, billions of dollars have been spent. Companies have been built all around us, right, that, that are built upon this model that is built upon some sense that we have that we're missing something, that we need something else, that there's some change that we need to make. And I'm old enough to date me to remember like when social media was just like pictures of people doing stupid stuff. There weren't like, you couldn't buy anything. And then like, you know, Instagram changes the cart, the like to a cart or whatever, you know, all this stuff is happening. I can remember all these things, but you know, all of, all of this, this constant being around advertising, this internal thing we have, these external pressures, they create in us a sense in which if we're really going to succeed in life, if we're going to be loved by the people around us, we're going to be accepted, we need to change. But I think this thinking comes at a high price, and it seems like the finish line or the goal of these changes are often changing. Uh, our society, these, these, these things, like, they morph and they shift, and uh, it's kind of a silly thing, but I can remember, like, probably eight or nine years ago, I read this article that was about, like, changing standards in masculine beauty or handsomeness or something in Western culture, and they talked about how in the 70s, like, Burt Reynolds was, like, peak man sexiness. And so I don't know if you guys know who Burt Reynolds is. If, you, if you're like, think of like a handsome Ron Swanson or something if you're a Parks and Rec person. Or, uh, and he's kind of this, you know, mustachioed, hairy-chested guy. And that was like in the 70s, like you couldn't get more handsome than Burt Reynolds. And then they talked about like in the like late 90s, it was like Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, early 2000s, sort of a, like a more clean-shaven, more thin, thinner, frailer uh, guy. Like that was like peak attractiveness. And then I remember just reading just recently like about the rise of like the man bod. Um, and so that's what I'm going for. I'm just trying to stay current with the youth is just develop the man bod. But no, I mean, I'm, I'm really just kidding there. But you know, there's these like, what society is saying you need to be, it changes over time. And if you live in a multicultural world, if you come from a different culture, if you have moved from another place and you've come and you realize, oh yeah, the standard of beauty in my home country and maybe America or in different pockets of people is really different. Uh, my wife's Caucasian. We uh, lived in Asia for a season. And when she was growing up, she grew up in Texas, and, uh, you know, it was like, hey, go to a tanning booth, get, like, really bronze, you know, skin, like, dark is beautiful kind of thing, get tan. And when she went to Asia, it was like, huh, and all the skincare products were, like, lovely white, lighten your skin kind of thing. And if you're, you know, a woman today, you have sort of messages that are like, hey, you need to be thin. No, you need to be thick. You need to be big. No, you need to be small. All kinds of things. And it's just really, really crazy. Like, how do you keep up in a world that tells you to be all of these things? Our, our, our culture's ideals and things they ask us to be are changing all the time. And I think it goes beyond the physical. The physical is just kind of one layer of it. We have people in our life. We have bosses that want us to act one way. And we have partners and friends that want us to act another. We have the world telling us to work more, to work harder, to put in more hours. And we have other people and families telling us to be home more, to be more present, to be more socially active with our friends and families. 
And so trying to become an ideal that's constantly changing or trying to fulfill ideals that are different from one another is a recipe for an exhausting life that I think all, all of us feel, if we're honest. And wanting to change to please others can be like chasing a mirage in the desert, something you just think, man, I'm almost there, and then all of a sudden there's a different thing. Or I got there and I realized, actually, I want something different. It's a goal that's never quite in reach, always just right out of our arm's reach. And there's got to be a better motivation for change. There's got to be a better reason to change than trying to reach some standard or something that will make other people love and appreciate you. And so, yeah, that's the first perspective. And I think in, in response to that first perspective, some people swing the pendulum to go to the second kind of motivation for change that I think is not really great either. Number two, I don't need to change. I just need to be me. I don't need to change. I just need to be me. And if you're living in that first perspective, this second one feels like absolute truth and freedom. But this motivation for change is often as unfulfilling as the first. You know, the goal of the person with this second perspective is, you know, just let me be me. You've heard this. You've probably said this. You know, or this person, that's just them being them. You know, you know this is me, just me and me. I'm sorry. Deal. Take it as it is. Have you heard anybody say that? Are you guys familiar with that? Uh, this is the view that's often in the theme of like pop ballads like Bruno Mars promising to love you just the way you are. Like, I don't care. You know, I'm going to love, I'd sing it, but you wouldn't want to hear it. Um, or Lady Gaga, she has her self-love anthem, right? Born this way. It's like, hey, this is who I am. This is who I was born. I don't need to change. I don't need to be different in order for you to accept me. And this pr perspective promises that if you can just accept yourself and quit trying to be something or someone else, you'll find the happiness and the love that you need. And this motivation is often paired with a really high value on personal authenticity, on self-expression, a sort of take me or leave me mindset and a refusal to be self-critical. And many with this perspective, they recognize that just trying to live up to this rat race of society's changing expectations is pointless. It's an unachievable goal. And so instead, they seek to be these free from society's expectations, free thinkers and authentic who they are to the core. To change or to someone to ask them to change would be a betrayal of who they authentically are. And so what's the problem with this perspective? Well, uh, if a person refuses to be anything other than their authentic self, whatever that means, uh, they usually end up kind of in two places, just totally intolerable and undesirable to be around, or they end up finding people that are very similar to them in a, in a unique way, who act up just like them, or they end up being lonely, right? Have you ever noticed the more countercultural me just being me a person is, the more they tend to have really similar friends? the more they tend to isolate in similar bubbles. I remember when I was in high school, it's like the gothic kids were like the, you know, we're not gonna do society's thing, we're gonna wear black, and, you know, and then they were all with kids who wore black, and that was their social pocket. Or you have like the punks in the, you know, 70s or 80s who were saying, hey, we're not gonna do society's thing and that, and if you go back farther in even our region's history, you have the hippies, right, who say we're dropping out of society, we're not living with society's expectations, we're all gonna grow our hair long, and you get these, these what ends up happening is people go out and they live radically different, but they often end up being surrounded by people who look just like them again. It's a faux diversity. It's an artificial individualism. It's changing one social expectation for another. Other people might experience this, this uh, a less extreme version of this motive in their romantic relationships, right? They start with the premise that they're not going to change for anybody. Hey, you, you know, I just need to find the perfect partner. Like, I'm a special puzzle piece, and I need to find someone that just fits just like this. Uh, I can remember, like, the very first, like, online dating uh, websites, they had, they like, were like 27 questions you ask and all about the unique you and you're going to find this partner that's like the perfect fit. And now it's just like, is this guy handsome or won't go swipe? You know, it's changed a lot. Um, not that I'm on those or anything. I'm not like on that stuff. I'm just, I work with young people. Um, 
but it's, it's changed. But, you know, it's this idea that, right, we're, we're unique, and we need to find someone that fits us, and we don't need to change or be different. We just need to find someone that fits us. And if you're honest and you've been around, you realize that this mentality is an impossible mentality if two people bring it to a relationship. Because when someone with this perspective finds another person who initially looks like they're a good fit, you, they jump into a relationship with high expectations. This person's going to complete me. And, but you know if you've been around that danger is coming. They're eventually going to find out that the person they're in a relationship with is also a unique special puzzle piece with their own idiosyncrasies. And they're going to discover a tension between the two of them, between their individual preferences and identities. They may not like the same music, but there's only one you know, audio system in the car. They may not like the same food, but you can't go to two different restaurants on a date, at least not a very good date. Um, you know, they're going to have to choose. Someone is going to have to compromise. We see that in relationships. You can't just go into a relationship and say, hey, I'm just going to be me, be me. Don't ask me to change. That's a recipe for disaster. That's surface stuff. Again, it goes deeper in any lasting relationship. People are going to need to change to be together. If they continue to refuse to change, they're going to end the relationship and they're going to have to start over with someone that's a better fit. And maybe you've seen someone or you've done that cycle where you're like, man, I thought this person was the right fit, but they're not the right fit. And it happens over and over again. It may happen in divorce or in, in relationships that happen over and over again where people can become exhausted replaying the same thing over and over. And, they, and then eventually what happens is there's, they just get tired of it, right? You get tired of trying to change. And these people with uh, this first perspective where they seek to change in order to be loved, uh, then they have the second perspective where they're just being themselves. Then they just end up settling in being alone. Like, I, it's never going to work out for me. It's never going to pan out. It's never going to work out. And either way, however you go into this, it can be exhausting and frustrating. Multiple roads leading again to the same dead end. Never, no one ever reaching their goal. And if that's how many people feel about change as they pursue these different levels, these different perspectives, they may end up believing a third version of our inadequate perspectives on change. And maybe this resonates for you. Number three, I need to change, but it's not possible. I need to change, but it's not possible. Like if you're someone who is like, man, I hate New Year's. I don't want to make any goals. All I can remember is goals I made and they didn't pan out or you know, like, uh, things I wanted to do and they didn't happen. And I think for a lot of us, as we get older, as we age, we can remember ourselves having these first two motives and we become tempted to believe this third perspective. We know we need to change. We know there are aspects of our life or our character or uh, that they need to be different. And we desire even to change, but we've lost the hope that it's ever going to happen. We've tried and failed so many times that we just give up and stop trying, and that seems easier. And someone with this perspective might have a life that's marked by goals that are made and unfulfilled, by workout plans that are tried and abandoned, by addictions, large or small, that reign over their lives. And they're just tired of trying. They can't take another failed attempt at change. And maybe that's who you are. Maybe that's how you're feeling today. You've concluded your best efforts. They are insufficient. And so you've given up on trying to change. Not because you just like love who you are today, but because you don't think it's really possible to change anymore. And I think many people with this kind of perspective that can become somewhat depressing, they begin to uh, embrace various forms of escapism. You know, they may escape into entertainment, into work, into video games, into a hobby, just to get through the day, numb out, and then start over again, trying to be as comfortable as they can, trying to not think about uh, their disappointments. And even if you don't share this perspective, even if none of those resonate with you, I know this is true that we believe this third perspective about other people, at the very least. We believe that there are other people that will never change. Even though we want them to change, we have decided for them that they will always be the same 
and we've given up hope of them ever growing or becoming different or changing in any way. And this is a dangerous thing because um, we've, we've stopped extending grace and hope to other people. And we can become almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. We can help, we can, we can almost like force people to, be, to, to stay in a place because we don't believe they'll ever be different anymore. And like the other two perspectives, this third view on change, it's unfulfilling. And I think we should all hope for more than that. There's more that we should hope for. Even if you've been burned, even if you've tried to change, or you've hoped for change in others and you've ended up failing or being disappointed, if you've recycled the same change strategies over and over again and all you feel left to do is to try harder and harder or just give up, I think there's hope for more. There's something more than that. There's something better than that that the Christian message and the gospel provides us. And that's the hope that we have today. And so what does the Christian message have to say? That's what I want to explore in the next three points. Because I think the good news, the Christian faith offers us much, much more. And this morning I want to look at uh, three unique uh, perspectives on change that the Christian gospel offers us, the good news, that help us as we approach change in the coming, uh, in the coming year. The first one is this, and so these are sort of counter to the other three. Number one, God loves us as is. We don't have to change to earn his love. God loves us as is. We don't have to change to earn his love. Genuinely, this is like one of the most amazing, incredible truths of the Christian story, that God loves each and every one of us right now as we are. There's, let's not rush past that. You may be like, oh yeah, totally. Some of us uh, Westerners, we almost take for granted, oh yeah, God's got to love. Of course he loves us. Let's not rush past that and say, yeah, 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 think about it. God doesn't ask you to change. He doesn't ask you to clean yourself up. He doesn't ask you to be different before he'll love you. There's, there's no change you could make in the coming year that will make God love you more, that he'll be more proud of you, more delighting in you than he is right now, or even in your darkest moment. There's nothing you could do. It, it's amazing that God loves us even in the midst of our weakness and our sin. Uh, the Bible says this. It's an interesting you know, counter to this or addition. Romans 5 it says, God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At our worst, even with full knowledge of our sinfulness, God loves us as we are. Unlike the world, which asks us to change before loving us, which asks us to change before it'll accept us, Jesus loves us and values in us enough to die for us while we were still sinners. That is a really important truth, and I uh, don't want to run past it. Because God, he didn't weigh your brokenness against the cost of redeeming you to see if you were a good value. He loves you as is, failed goals and all. If you are a believer, I just want to say, you go into this next year with this truth. Like deep in your soul, I would love that for you. That you are already loved, that you are already accepted, that you go into your motivations for change, not from a needy place, I need to do this in order to be loved or accepted, but I am already loved and accepted. And so therefore I'm empowered to change. Whether in 2020 you fail or succeed, if you never meet that special someone, if you lose your job, if your business fails, if you can't afford rent, don't take it too hard. You are already loved and accepted in Christ. You are already accepted at the deepest level and you're secure in him regardless of your circumstances. I've been meditating on Psalm 46, which is why I asked David to read it. For the past few weeks, it's been something I've been coming back to, and that's, you know, the reading we had this morning. And the text, you know, begins with this. It says that God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, it says some things we're not going to fear. We won't fear uh, a list of things. The author goes on, and he says, you know, natural disasters, political turmoil, war. And it's like he's saying, like, if you have a relationship with God, if you know this God, there is nothing that you need to be afraid of. 
The worst things that you can imagine are not too big or too scary for God. He is in control even when everything seems to be falling apart. So like maybe Omicron is worse. There's another variant. Like God is in control. Maybe you lose your job or your scholarship or something goes poor, a relationship ends. God is in control. And there's just one verse that kind of jumps out in this, in this psalm, verse 10. It's kind of the only real command in the text where it says, uh, verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. That's a really hard verse for me. Be still and know that I am God. Some of us are going into 2022 anxious and we need to be comforted with the message of this psalm. Hey, just be still, relax. Know that God is God. You know, and others of us though, we are restless. I'm this kind of person. We want to act. We want to make plans and goals and, and have big dreams. And we think that it's our actions, our wills, our, our plans that are ultimately what's going to bring us peace, that are ultimately what's going to bring us satisfaction. And I love what one author writes about this psalm. He says, Psalm 46 is a comfort to the harassed, to the harassed, but it's also a rebuke to the restless. Have you ever considered, this is kind of what I've meditated on in this verse, that some of your taking initiative, your action, your goal setting, your things might actually compound your problems? That maybe first we need to be still and know that God is God and we are not? That that's the starting place before we move into action? Some of us need to practice being still to stop trying so hard and know that God is the one who ultimately will bring peace, prosperity, and fulfillment in our lives. It's not that God doesn't call us to act, but if we act before recognizing that, before resting in that place where we recognize who God is and who we aren't, we might move forward with an action that could ultimately be hurtful to us. If you're the person who is satisfied, I'm sorry, um, you know, uh, the second thing that I want to talk about, the second point here, uh, the second better perspective is this, that God created us to be more than we presently are. That God created us to be more than we presently are. If you're the person who's satisfied with just me being me, just you doing you, you need to know that the Christian story begins with a creator God who made you and crafted you. You're not self-created. You're not self-made. You're not random. You're not accidental. You're designed with all of the intentionality and purpose that a designer puts into their work. Uh, I love Psalm 139. It says this, you created my most inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God made you and he's gifted you and he's created you for a purpose. You are unique. You don't need to fit some mold that our world sets out as normal or ideal. You need to be the you that God created you to be. And that's what's really interesting about the Christian story is that it's, it's neither of those first motives work because the Christian story says that there is some ideal, unique you created by God, but it also says that that version of you has been hacked. It's been hacked. It's been damaged. It's been defaced. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all now shackled and marred by sin. We've been broken and we've been defaced by our own sin and by the sin of others. We aren't today, right now, who God created us to be. So even though we're loved and accepted as is, we're not yet entirely who he made us to be. And if we ignore the way that sin has affected us and affected our whole person, our desires, our motives, our thoughts, we're not actually being authentic. We're not being authentic, our authentic selves. If we don't think that we need to change parts of our lives that God didn't create for us, 
then we're embracing a lesser version of ourselves. Apart from God, without a transformation that comes from him, we're living as a false version of ourselves. We're not being authentic at all. We're living as true shadows of ourselves. And God created us for more, but we've been hacked by sin and we need a savior to rescue us and empower us to find and become our true selves. The people that God originally created and intended us to be. We need to change. We can't do this without God, no matter how hard or how often we try. And this brings us to our third and our final point this morning, our third great motive for change is that our truest change is only possible through Jesus. Our truest change is only possible through Jesus. You know, I mentioned that Christians believe that uh, our most authentic selves have been marred and shackled by sin and that God created us for more. And I've also said that Jesus demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And I want to kind of unpack just briefly how those two ideas go together. You know, the Bible teaches that the, the means, the mechanism, the way that we're changed and brought into God's kingdom is through Jesus' death on the cross. And you might go, yeah, totally, I get that. I've heard that. I believe that. But that's also not just how you get into God's kingdom, but it's how you thrive and grow and are transformed in God's kingdom. That's how we're changed by God. It's how we're empowered to change by, by the death of Jesus on the cross. And there's definitely a bit of mystery to how this all works and how this all plays out and how it's all accomplished, but it ultimately involves this sinless God taking on the deserved consequences of sinful people so that we might be free from the penalty, which is death, and also the power, which is enslavement of sin. So when Jesus died on the cross and we believe in him, there are two things that happen. We are freed from the penalty of sin, death, and also the power of sin, which is this enslavement to this lesser version of ourselves. We actually become unshackled, and we're not yet the person that God created us to be. We're actually free to become that person. Without Jesus and his death, true eternal change would not be possible. We would still be enslaved, shackled to sin. But because of his death, we can be free to live the lives that God originally created us to live. That's the hope of the gospel. That if we believe in him, if we trust in him, if we place our ultimate faith in him, that we are no longer bound and tied to this sinful nature. We have hope. We can change. We have to give ourselves up and put our trust in Jesus. And this isn't a one-time thing. Maybe you think that's something you've done in the past. It's not an annual thing we do at the end of every year. It's not a weekly thing. It's a daily practice. As we consistently remind ourselves repetitively and rehearse the, these truths of the gospel, again and again, we need to be still and know that he is God and that we are not. We need to be reminded that because of Jesus, change is truly possible through his death. I love 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It says this very simple verse. It says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. And sanctification is basically a big, heavy word for that process of becoming the person he created you to be. That's what God's will is, that you would become the person he created you to be. That's sanctification. It's, a, it's this big word for that becoming the authentic ideal you, shedding the sin who distorts who you really are, embracing the character and the calling that God set out for you when he created you before the foundation of the earth. Friends, Jesus is the key to this kind of transformation, this sanctification, and it may sound crazy um, if you're new to faith, but we'll find that our true selves, when we ultimately give up trying to find our true selves and embrace finding and following Jesus. It's the most important truth we could ever believe. If it's something that you're exploring, I would say exploring Jesus and, and, and following him would be the most important thing you could do in this coming year. And so I wanted to read something in closing that uh, C.S. Lewis wrote. 
If you, if you don't know C.S. Lewis, is, he's an author who wrote the uh, Chronicles of uh, Narnia series, but he also wrote a number of other books about uh, what it mean, means to be a Christian. He wrote a great book called Mere Christianity, and C.S. Lewis was a professor at Oxford, and he wasn't a Christian. He was an agnostic, and he wrote this book kind of chronological, uh, kind of telling the story of how he became a Christian and the arguments that were compelling to him, and it's called Mere Christianity. And he always called himself a reluctant convert, even once he became a Christian. And it's an amazing book. If you're looking for a book to read, I would recommend it. And I want to summarize something he talks about in that book in a section uh, with, with a few sentences. So let me read this quote to you from C.S. Lewis as we wrap up. He's talking about the dynamics of change and our finding ourselves and following Jesus. He says this, the more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. It's no good trying to be myself without him. The more I resist him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. It's when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. The very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. And I love this last line. Your real new self will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Friends, as we enter this new year, we don't know what's in store for us. But I want us to remember the message of Psalm 46. Let's be still and know God. Let's learn what God is like by looking at Jesus. And as we do that, let's learn who we are and who we are created to be and who we need to become. Let's remember that Jesus is God and that he is the motive, the means, and the ends of our change efforts and our goals as we look forward in the year. And so this coming week, as... Um, as you reflect on maybe you've already made goals, you want to reevaluate or have a conversation with someone in your life and go through these things and say, yeah, do you, do you have any of these three inadequate perspectives as you think about your goals? And what would be different if you took these three other perspectives into your year? And let's remember these things, that God loves us as is, that we don't have to change to earn his love. Let's remember that God created us to be more than we presently are. And let's remember that our truest change is only possible through Jesus. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful that you do not leave us on our own, that you don't leave us to our own uh, devices and motives and fears and anxieties, that you enter into our reality in our lives, that you did that uh, through your son uh, when he came to earth in his incarnation, that you do that all the time with your Holy Spirit moving, and you do that with your church in the world breaking into our lives. And so, God, we ask as we go into this new year that you would form us that you would form our hearts, that you would draw us closer to you. If, we are, if there are people here exploring you, God, I pray that you would speak to them in this coming year, that they would find faith in Jesus. If there are those of us who've been following you and need a new hope, a renewed hope, God, I pray that you would renew our hope that we can be changed to become the people you've created us to be. God, we ask that you would do this all through Jesus Christ. Uh, give us a vision of who we're to become in him this coming year. Amen.